After high school many years ago, I was in a bad place. My guardian had kicked me out after graduation, and she didn't help me to find a new place to stay. So I lived in my car for a couple of months. I met some heavy metal dudes at work one day. I had seen them around town, and all my other friends knew who they were, and everyone loved them. We became friends over a couple of months, and they offered for me to move in with them. I agreed, but looking back on it now, I wish I had just stayed in my car. My two main roommates were brothers named Andrew and Seth. They were in a band, and they also sort of believed in the occult and everything of that sort. I never really believed in that stuff, but I'm not one to tell someone what they should or shouldn't believe. They had let me live with them rent-free for several months, so who was I to complain? Being the only female in a house full of young men, I was always looking over my shoulder. You never know who you can trust, and turns out I was right to worry. Over time, their friends started to stay with us for longer periods of time, sometimes weeks on end. Their friends were another group of brothers that they had gone to school with. There were five brothers in total, but only two stayed with us consistently. The younger brother, Mark, was very polite. He cleaned up after himself and always helped with the household chores. The other brother, Adam, had a laundry list of mental problems. He had apparently done some bad drugs back in the day, and it had developed into somewhat of psychosis of religious sort. He had done time in prison for assaulting a woman with a Bible. He would often look you in the eyes and tell you he could see how you would die. Everyone in the house knew he had these problems, but he was their friend. They helped him through the hard times and gave him a place to stay. Otherwise, he would have been out on the streets. I was always on guard around him after these things were told to me. No one else seemed to be as concerned as I was, but they should have been. One day, I was sleeping and my phone happened to ring. It was my boss, and he asked if I could come into work an hour early. It was only noon, and I was broke and had nothing better to do, so I said yes. I got up and began getting ready to leave. I walked out into the living room to see Mark and Andrew sitting on the couch while Adam sat on the floor by the TV. He was watching scripture videos on YouTube some real end of day stuff. That was fairly common, so I went about my business. I said goodbye and left for work. My shift at work was coming to an end when the phone rang. My boss answered, handed the phone to me, and said, it's for you. I was just a cashier, so I assumed it was a friend that couldn't reach me on my cell. I answered the phone and heard a man's voice that I didn't recognize. This is Detective Williams. Something happened at your apartment today, and we need you to come to the station to talk about it. I left work immediately. I had assumed one of the brothers had been arrested for drug dealing or something, but I was very wrong. I got to the station and was buzzed in. An officer escorted me to a small, cold room with a camera. He gave me a bottle of water and left me by myself for about 30 minutes. My mind was racing thinking about all that could have happened. He came back in and informed me that Adam had stabbed and killed Andrew at around 1pm. I was shocked to say the least. I had just left the house an hour before it happened and everything seemed fine. I asked if there had been some sort of fight. The detective informed me that there hadn't been a fight and it seemed to have happened out of nowhere. I gave my statement to the police and left with nowhere to go, still in shock and confused out of my mind. Our apartment was a crime scene, so I went to another friend's house to watch the news report since the police wouldn't give me any information on the case. Over the next few days, more information began to be released. Adam hadn't just stabbed Andrew once, not twice but he had stabbed him over and over and over again, nearly decapitating him. After the murder, he ran down the road, still holding the murder weapon. He called 911 and informed them what he had done. I watched the news report in horror. We had known he was unstable, but this? He had fully confessed to the brutal murder and provided police with his notebooks. 
He had apparently been planning to murder all of his brothers, my roommates, and me. He thought we were possessed by demons, and this was the only way to free us. Luckily, none of his other intended victims were there that day. Mark, unfortunately, witnessed the murder, but he luckily escaped. If I hadn't gotten that call from my boss, I wouldn't be alive today. The real lesson to learn here is if you ever walk in on somebody watching videos about the end of days, be cautious, for it may be the end of yours. Last night, I was at a classmate's house working on a group project we have due tomorrow. I live in an apartment in the town where our university is located, and my classmate lives at his parents' house, which is in the foothills just outside of town. In order to get to the house, you have to drive along a relatively secluded and narrow two-lane road for about five to six miles. We started working on the project at about 6 p.m., and I ended up hanging around for a while after we finished, so I left his house around 11 and started down the road back towards town. I didn't realize how tough it would be to navigate the road at night. There were no street lights, and the road was unkept and riddled with potholes. On top of this, I had no cell service, so I had to drive very slowly to make sure I didn't blow out one of my tires since I had used the spare a couple of weeks back. I figure I was about three miles from the house when I rounded a tight corner and saw a pickup truck with a camper shell parked diagonally across the road. The manner in which it was parked completely impeded my path, and I couldn't drive around it because there was a gully on both sides of the road. The only way for me to go at this point was backwards. At first, I couldn't see inside the cab, but when I turned on my high beams, I saw that there was a man slouched over in the driver's seat, his head resting against the steering wheel as if he had been knocked out after a bad accident. I immediately sensed something was wrong, the way his car had just coincidentally come to a rest in a position that totally blocked the road was a big red flag for me. I had heard stories of people playing dead in the road as a way to lure unsuspecting people out of their cars so they could rob them. I decided in this moment to head back to my classmate's house and explain what was going on. I threw my car into reverse and kept my eyes darting back and forth between my rear view and the truck. I looked and I saw that I was almost to a pull-off where I could turn around, but when I looked back, my heart skipped about five beats. The man who had been slouched over in the driver's seat was now walking at my car at a hurried pace, while a few other men jumped out of the camper shell and started moving towards me as well. I panicked and accelerated backwards into the pull-off, which messed up the undercarriage of my car pretty badly. As I put it into drive, the guy was already at my passenger side door, tugging on the handle, which, thank the lord, was locked. I only caught a brief glimpse of him, but his face appeared to be scabbed and leathery, definitely some sort of drug abuser. I sped away and didn't slow down at all until I reached the house, constantly checking my rear view to see if they were following. Thankfully, they didn't tail me. After what felt like an eternity to get back to my classmate's house, I was able to reach it and explain what had happened, and we called the cops. I was grateful that my buddy's parents were kind enough to let me stay the night as well. They never did find anyone on that road matching the description, but I filed an incident report and they told me they would be on the lookout for similar vehicles and suspicious activities. I'm still very much shaken up over this experience, and I keep getting the same adrenaline rush that I got when I saw the guy charging me whenever I think about it. To anyone driving on lonely stretches of road in the dark of night, please be aware because there are some scary leather-faced people out there that may not have your best interests at heart. So this happened when I was around 10 years old, and it's something I'll never forget, and it still gives me goosebumps to this day. I live in a terraced house, and my neighbors and I each have our own little patio. There's a small road about 30 feet from my yard where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my small yard and my patio from the road. 
I live in a pretty crowded area with several of these terraced houses spread around in my neighborhood, so seeing people walking on the road is pretty normal for me. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was younger, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mom got home from work. I live maybe 200 feet from my school, so my mom figured I was mature enough to be home alone for around an hour before she got there. This one day, I got home from school and I did the usual thing, which was to make sure that I locked the front door, double checked that the back door leading to the patio was also locked. I then rushed to my room upstairs to play as much PlayStation as possible before my mom came home and forced me to do my homework. While playing, I heard this noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio with a view to the road that I told you about earlier. It was kind of the sound of a cat, but my cat had been missing for over three months. Hope sparked inside of me and I thought, oh my god, did he finally come back? I ran downstairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me chills just writing this. There was a guy standing on my patio, a tall guy with black hair covering half of his eyes, making him look like the male version of the ring woman or something. I could hear him making high-pitched sounds, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth, and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this. Eventually I snapped out of it and screamed so loud that the man must have heard it. He didn't react though. He kept on eating from the ashtray. I ran back upstairs to my room, locked the door, and called my mom, who then called the cops. I've never been more terrified in my life laying in bed under my sheets, shivering with fear as I hear these creepy high-pitched noises from the guy eating cigarette butts from the ashtray on my patio. I kind of blacked out for a moment because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them talking to the guy saying stuff like, what are you doing? Get over here or we'll come down and arrest you, and so on. He never responded, but the high-pitched sounds were more frequent and louder than ever. I decided to look through the window, feeling safe now that the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and a woman. I did not see the creepy man, however, because he was standing directly one story under me and out of my field of view. The police jumped the fence, and I remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything I've ever heard. He charged the female police officer with full force, and he knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased the guy, leaving him shaking on the ground, screaming still. The policeman struggled to keep him on the ground while putting handcuffs on him, but eventually he got it done. After a while, he managed to wake up the female police officer, who seemed to be badly hurt. He called for backup and an ambulance, and then he sees me standing in the window above him. The expression on my face must have been something else, because he just looked at me and said, I sure as hell hope you didn't see all that. I started to cry. By this time, neighbors started to arrive wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbors, an elderly woman, made me come down and she took care of me until my mom came back home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what had just happened. Now this is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male police officer came back later that night and sat down with me and my mom to talk. He explained that the guy on my patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped a facility where mentally challenged people live, located about 10 miles from where I live. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house five years ago, but he had been forced to move when his mom, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought he would find his mom in my house. He missed his routines and he missed living there with his mom. The police had to move him from the house that time five years ago because even then he was extremely strong. This was the reason he reacted the way that he did when the police came this day. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure this would never happen again, and he promised that it wouldn't. 
After a few sleepless nights, my life got back to normal. The years went by and the guy didn't come back. Until one year ago. At this time, my mom and dad had moved out and I bought the house from them and I'm still living here today. I was enjoying my morning coffee on the patio when I see this random guy stopping on the road by my fence. He just stands there, looking at me. I look at him and give him a nod, and then I hear the high-pitched noises that I heard all those years ago. It's him. His hair had turned gray, but the high-pitched noises made me realize. My heart started racing and I instantly remembered the reason why he was back. I realized that he must have managed to escape again. Because I kept my cool a bit longer than when I was 10, I started to realize how sorry I felt for the guy. 16 years later and he was back to look for his mom again. I decided to carefully ask him if he wanted to come down to the patio. He instantly jumped the fence. I started to think he would knock me out like he did to that police officer, but he didn't. He smiled. He looked at me and smiled. I offered him to sit down. He didn't respond. I offered him to come inside. He started laughing. We went inside and his face lit up with pure joy. He was home. It reminded him of the life he had had with his mom. It almost made me tear up. All of a sudden, he sat down on my couch, turned on my TV, and switched it directly to cartoons. I observed him for a while. He was just completely focused on the cartoons. I just wanted him to enjoy the moment, so I didn't say anything to him. I realized I had to call the facility to let them know. The caretakers arrived 10 minutes later. After a lot of convincing, he got back up, crying, and they went back to the facility. I called down there a few days later, and we made a deal. His name is Tom, and I now consider Tom my friend. Every Sunday from the day he returned, Tom and his caretakers visit me to watch cartoons. They say it's the highlight of his week. Now, for several years my thoughts were, let's not meet guy on the patio eating from my ashtray. Now my thoughts are, let's meet every Sunday to watch cartoons, my friend Tom.